Hello Crossroads. I'm really excited this weekend as we continue our Let's Do This series. We have a guest speaker, Ross Chapman. Ross is the executive director of For Evansville. It's a local organization that collaborates between the city and the church as we pursue God's mission to meet needs right here in the tri-state. We're continuing our series, Let's Do This. We've looked at the words saved, called, gathered, and this weekend we're gonna be looking at what Peter has to say about the church being scattered, that we all have a gift to contribute to what God's up to where we work, live, and play. I hope you'll give a warm welcome to Ross Chapman. with us online. We're just really glad you're here. So thanks for being here. And you know what? Even Crossroads is scattered across the region every week. And then we gather together here. Maybe you came from Darmstadt or Boonville or Newburgh or Mount Vernon or maybe East Side, West Side, Center City, McCutcheonville. We kind of gather in this place because we're scattered the rest of the week. And it's been this way since the very beginning of the church. And in fact, this letter that we've been in, 1 Peter, that's exactly how Peter starts his, his letter. Verse 1, it says, To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, which important for you just meaning Turkey and all the cities in that area. And he even ends the letter in a similar way. And he says in verse five, thir- chapter five, verse 13, he says, she who's at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And he's referencing the church of Rome when he says Babylon. We're gonna get to that in a little bit. But I want you guys to see the major theme of this letter. It's the opening and the closing. He is picking up this theme of living as exiles. And that is exactly what he needed to do because they were in a culture that marginalized, maybe even alienated or persecuted them. And he was drawing on some imagery from the Old Testament that we're gonna dive into. Did you know that you might even be experiencing life as an exile in an increasing measure in what is becoming a more and more post-Christian America? And this is, uh, this is just the way things are right now. You might be marginalized or targeted, maybe even insulted because of your commitment to Christ. And one of the things we've been doing in this series, every preacher in this series, in fact, has reminded us of who we are. We're born again. We have a living hope that is for this life now and forever. And maybe you've been stereotyped or misunderstood. Maybe you've even been shut down for some reason because of your faith in Christ. Peter reminds us as exiles that that we are living stones founded on the cornerstone himself, Jesus Christ, who chose us to help us, chose us to tell the world who he is and what he's done. Or maybe you've been made to feel weak because you have humility in your workplace. Or, Or maybe you feel like an outcast because of something that you believe or a strong conviction that you have. Well, remember that we're supposed to live differently and we're called to gather in unity to encourage one another in this current situation. Our cultural reality, it's not that far removed from what the Christians were experiencing that Peter was writing to. So we too, having come to a new understanding of who we are as exiles, we can have courage to endure unjust suffering when necessary and to remain committed to who we are now. So the first couple 
chapters of Peter, he spends a lot of time drawing on several different Old Testament images to remind his hearers of who they are. And in chapter three, he encourages them to persevere as exiles. Let's look at chapter three, verses 13 through 16. This is what he says to the group of people who are in a society that continually, continually turning up the heat against them. He says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what's right, you're blessed. Do not fear their frets. Don't be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So how do we do that? How do we live in a society that's continually turning up the heat? Well, the first thing we need to do is not fear their threats. We don't need to be afraid. We're reminded that Jesus is with us, that we're founded on his cornerstone, that we follow his example. And later in this very chapter, he's going to remind them that Jesus himself has the victory over death and evil and sin in the world. So we need not fear because we are in Christ. The second thing he's going to tell us to do is to fear the Lord, revere the Lord Jesus Christ, set him apart as holy. The earliest Christians, the only confession that they would say to one another is Jesus is Lord which was totally countercultural because Caesar was Lord at the time. But no, Jesus is Lord is all they needed to know because they had made him the Lord and leader of everything in their life. And the third thing he says is, be prepared to give an answer for your faith or the hope that you have in Christ. Are you prepared when someone asks you why you believe what you believe? It also assumes that you're being asked. And that's an important thing to remember too. The bottom line here, is we can't compromise who we are. We must not compromise who we are because of the conditions around us. And when we don't, Christ in us and through us begins to transform the place where he has sent us. And for those of us listening right now, unless you're online in some other place, it's Evansville, Indiana, is the place where God has put us. And when I say Evansville, Right now and any other time in the next 20, 30 minutes, I mean the entire region. Because we might be standing or sitting in Newburgh right now or the West Campus, but if you're in Newburgh, you gotta have Evansville to have a good place to live. And if you're in Evansville, you gotta have Newburgh. And it works the same north side, west side, everywhere. So when we say Evansville, we're talking about this big place that we belong to. So what we're gonna do this, this evening is recalling and taking with us all that we've learned about who we are, our identity so far in this series. We're gonna shift our focus to think about what is the purpose and the mission that we have. The series calls Let, Let's Do This. Well, what are we doing? Do what? When are we doing it? And where are we doing it? Well, I think it might look something like what one of the earliest church fathers wrote when he was kind of jeering the Roman Empire this guy's name is Tertullian. Here's what he says. He says, we're but of yesterday and we have filled every place among you, cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the very camp, tribes, companies, palace, senate, and forum. We've left nothing to you but the temples of your God. You know what that is? That's a scattered church. You know what it is? It's a well-positioned church. 
See, there were Christ followers everywhere. They were in the arts, military, government, business, education, all throughout the entire Roman Empire. And all of that happened in just 300 years after Christ had ascended. Could someone say the same thing about Evansville? You know, I bet most of you passed 10 churches on your way here tonight. Seems like we got a lot of churches in Evansville. In fact, I would like you to raise your hand if you think we have more than 100 churches in the Evansville area. Okay, anybody want to go for 200? Anybody think we have 200 churches in the area? Okay, this guy's going to be upset with me. The number of churches we have in Evansville is one. You see, we have many local expressions, but there's one church. And we even can see in Peter, and when Paul writes, when Jesus talks, and even Tertullian, they speak to one church. And here's how this works. All right, this is you. You're the dot, and you are in union with Christ. So Christ is the circle, and you're in union with Christ. This is incredible to think about, and we could spend the rest of our time talking about that. But what else is going on is that everyone else who's in Christ has a common union with one another. And so when you put the word common and union together, we get the word community. And that's why we can say the church is a community. And the thing that we have in common is that we are all in Christ. And that happens to be that we're scattered in that way. So where are we scattered in Evansville, all those who are in Christ? Well, we're scattered across all of these channels of culture. The church is in, the, in business, government, arts and media, social sector, education, healthcare. The church is present there because you are present there and because you are in Christ. The church, if you could imagine a map of Evansville and an aerial shot overlooking it, and you could see all the neighborhoods and look at all the different dots as people who are in Christ. Maybe, maybe they're like those little lightning bugs lightning, lighting up the map. They're well positioned in every neighborhood in Evansville. We are everywhere. We're a well positioned church. And you know what? It wasn't by accident. Acts 17, 26, when Paul is speaking to the Greek philosophers, this is what he tells them. He says, from one man, he, God, made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Do you know what that means? That means you don't work in the channel of culture or the place where you live or where you go to the coffee shop and this area that you call Evansville that's home, you're not here by accident. You're here on purpose. God knew you were gonna show up at this time in history, in this place, in his world. He's got you here for a reason. But there's an important question to ask. Was the Roman Empire transformed because Christ followers were scattered everywhere? Is Evansville transformed because Christ followers are everywhere? Do you know we have 850 kids still in the foster care system and 150 families to care for them? 33% of people in our area report binge drinking in the last month. The national average is 18%. 40% of people in the city limits make less than $30,000 a year in household income. We have a fairly high infant mortality rate, a higher suicide rate. We have an opioid crisis. In fact, uh, we have a 20% higher rate of death by overdose than the state of Indiana. If you're not aware, we also have a housing type crisis happening as well. And another important thing to note is that 83% of people in Evansville say they're Christian. We're well positioned, but is our city better because of it? 
Maybe it's a little bit like this illustration. Imagine this dilapidated house. Well, you don't have to imagine it. You can look at it. This is a house where there isn't life. You could even say it's dead and it's bound for destruction. And you know what could happen? You could go, let's say this is in your neighborhood or in our city. You could go and you could buy this and redeem it from the land bank or whoever owns it right now. And you could purchase it. And you could therefore save it from its coming demise. It won't be destroyed because now you own it and you've redeemed it and you've bought it back. The question is, how many of you would want to move into that house right now? Nobody. How many of you want this house in your neighborhood? Nobody. I think what we're getting at is maybe we've settled for conversion rather than transformation. You see, what hasn't happened yet with this house is it hasn't been fully restored. And you know that we love the whole rehab project story. There's like a hundred TV shows about that, right? But if this house was restored to its new creation status and everything was working as it should be, how many of you would want to live in a restored home like that? Everybody would like that. How many of you want to live in a neighborhood where every house is completely restored? So what if, as the church, we've settled for conversion rather than transformation? What if within the church, we got a lot of dilapidated houses who've been purchased from being destroyed, but aren't yet totally restored to their future and new creation status. And they're not bringing life to their neighborhood like they could be. You see, we're well positioned, but maybe we're missing part of the mission. Maybe we're comfortable with our status in Christ, but we're compromising some aspects of our call. Though we're scattered Monday through Saturday, our lightning bug lights need to shine a little bit brighter in our own community. Darkness runs when lights aren't just well positioned. Darkness runs when they're well positioned and amp up their intensity. Now I wanna say, if you're if kind of new to faith or you're checking church out, I'm convinced that this missing aspect, this idea of the total restoration project, total renovation of all things is appealing because it's hardwired into our humanity. We love to celebrate when things that are broken are made whole and right again. But oftentimes in church world, whether it's through books or podcasts or music or whatever it might be that we've gotten into our head, we, we put so much emphasis on that first step, on that buying it back step of faith that we kind of overlook the thousands of other steps that will happen after that first step. Phil even referenced this in a previous sermon when he says, even that first step, we've often outsourced to church leaders. Of course, that first step is essential, and I'm not saying it's not, but all the other steps after it matter too. They matter to Jesus, and they matter for the life of the world and our city. You know, after launching his public ministry, Matthew and Luke tell us that Jesus went around to different cities in the region doing two things. Some of you probably know what they are. The first one was he went around preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Look at Luke 4:43. He said to them, I must preach the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom is here. And then in Matthew 11:2 2 through 5, we start to see what does that look like? 
So now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. So what Jesus was doing through his miracles was demonstrating what the kingdom is like. And this is what it looks like. In the kingdom, blind people see, deaf people hear, lepers are cleansed, the lame walk, and the dead are brought to life. This is the reality is being brought into focus by Jesus. And that's the same thing he asks us to pray for, right? He says, pray that, the, that your kingdom, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. People are, the seas are calm. People don't go hungry. People's sins are forgiven in the kingdom. Physical, social, emotional, relational, educational, vocational, and spiritual. All of these things are made new and whole in the kingdom. We could bring it home to your own life to make the same point. We put this picture back up on the house and just think of your life and think of it this way. How much of you does Jesus want to restore? Is it just a little bit? Is it just the spiritual stuff? Or is it the whole thing? I'm glad that Jesus didn't settle for conversion in my own life. And I think that you are as well. And you know what? Jesus doesn't just care about restoring your own whole personal life. He wants to restore whole cities. He wants to restore places. He loves cities. In fact, I believe that God plants churches to transform cities. He likes cities. If you look throughout scripture, you can actually tell that cities aren't settings in the story. They're often characters. And that's a totally different elevated status. 1,250 times the word city is used in scripture. There's two times that Jesus weeps. The first is over Lazarus, his friend who dies, and he brings back to life. Didn't have to cry very long. And the second time is when he looks out over the city of Jerusalem. And he, he has a longing inside of him, knowing what that future new Jerusalem will be and seeing the reality of what it is now he, he is brought to tears. God cares about cities. So we could sum up all of what we've been saying in the series, I think, in one sentence, and here it is. The people of God are saved, called, gathered, scattered to see the total restoration of the places where God has sent them. Let's, let's just check it out one more time. The people of God are saved, called, gathered, scattered to see the total restoration of the places where God has sent them. In his letter to the exiles, Peter is drawing on another time when the people of God were sent into exile to another city. So I want us to turn and look at the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 4 through 7. And just while you're getting there, let me give you a little background. The people of God, Israel, have been conquered by this scary, huge empire called Babylon. And they have taken the best and brightest to Babylon. They've destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They've ripped apart families and they have left people with no leadership. And now the captives are living as exiles in the, in the capital city of the, of the empire that conquered them. I want you to try to imagine what that would have been like. 
Let's say you were taken to Babylon as an Israelite. What would you have been praying? What would you have been asking God to do? I think I would have been saying, Lord, can you create one of those Exodus moments again when you rescued your people out of Egypt? Will you save us from this captivity? Take us out of it, restore us, bring us back to Jerusalem. But Jerusalem's destroyed and, and, and that's not what God says. Let's look to see what he says. Jeremiah 29, starting in verse four. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare. The Hebrew word is shalom. Seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its shalom, you will find your shalom. What? That's what he's saying? He's not saying I'm gonna bring you out of captivity and rescue you and bring you back to Jerusalem. That's not what he tells them, not at this time. He says, no, I want you to put roots down. I want you to find, build houses if you have to and live in them. Find work and be fruitful. Find people to get married to and have kids and be fruitful and do this over and over and over and seek the shalom, the welfare, the peace, the prosperity, the flourishing of the place where I've sent you. Pray for it even. He asked them to pray for the place that captured them. That must have been so hard to hear. Well, let's back up just a step. What is shalom? Well, it is wrapped up in this idea of shalom. There's quite a lot. I think the best place we can look is Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. And, I'm, and this isn't gonna be up on the screen. I want you to find this in your Bible app or if you brought your Bible, just pull it out because I think this is totally worth marking up, either highlight it or circle it or whatever you do, this might be worth it. This is the section where Isaiah is describing the new Jerusalem. Okay, this is God's city. This is what he says. For behold, verse 17, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I'll rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my holy people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who doesn't fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build in another inhabit. They shall not plant in another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They won't labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their sentence with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear them. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion eats straw like the ox and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, declares the Lord. This is the kind of city that has shalom. This is what shalom would look like. Well, let's describe it a little bit because it was poetic and there was a lot of words and you might not have picked up everything. So here's some things to look at. First, the city is a delight and its people are a joy. 
Now we wanna compare this new Jerusalem to what people are experiencing here in our city. What do you experience in our city? Okay, so what we can ask is do people who visit our city, do they leave feeling pretty good? Do they like it when they come and visit? Do they feel refreshed because they were spent time with the people in Evansville? Do all ethnicities of our city delight in it? Children are valued, protected, and nurtured. Are we, what's our infant mortality rate? What are we doing for preschool readiness and third grade reading levels and graduation rates? How are we doing with those things? The elderly are living long and full lives, verse 20. How do we rank as a city in longevity? Do the elderly have access to quality healthcare and strong relationships? Are they valued in our community? People have stable housing and access to quality food in verse 22. Are we working to reduce the number of people experiencing homelessness? Are we working to increase the amount of people who have access to quality food? How many food deserts do we have in Evansville? Meaningful work in verses 22 and 23. Systemic generational poverty doesn't exist because people have the skills required for the jobs here. Are we creating the right jobs? Do we have the right mix? Are we being innovative? Do we have the right employment opportunities? Verse 23, there's hope for the future. We have a feeling that things are getting better. People are connected to God in verse 24. What percentage of people in our area are in Christ and increasing in their understanding of what that means? And lastly, there's an absence of violence in verse 25. Do we have safe neighborhoods? Are we reducing the crime rate and, and violence in our city? This is what it would look like if heaven were to come to earth. If heaven were to come to Evansville, this is what it would look like. And I believe that this is the kind of city where everybody would want to live. No matter their faith, no matter their background, whatever it is, if you describe this kind of city to them, I think they go, man, if that was all happening, I'd want to live there. I'd want to live in that kind of city. So simply stated, shalom. It's the way things are supposed to be. It's the way things God, it's the way he intended things to be. So how do you bring shalom? Well, here's some ideas. This isn't exhaustive. You, when you make a wrong right, you bring shalom. When you make something a little less broken, you bring shalom. When you don't compromise under cultural pressures, you bring shalom. When you provide the reason for your hope in Jesus Christ, you bring shalom. God is working to increase shalom in every city. That's his mission. And since we're in him and we have this common union, we also share in his mission. In fact, we have been commissioned. It's a common mission. So here's something I want you to take away. If there's anything that you haven't heard yet, that's okay, because you can get this part right here. The Church of Evansville is a common union and a common mission. You could say a commissioned community that exists to bring an increasing amount of shalom to Evansville. That's what the Church of Evansville exists to do. The Church of Evansville is a commissioned community that exists to bring an increasing amount of shalom to the place where it has been sent, Evansville. That's a simple definition. The church is a commissioned community. That's what we're doing. That's the do. This is the where. And the when is now. Let me ask another question. If God was going to build a city from scratch, would it be for everyone? Would everyone be able to flourish in that kind of city? 
Well, some of you will probably recognize the citywide campaign that has been going on for a couple of years in our city. It's called E is for Everyone. How many of you guys are familiar with that? Okay, well, there's probably a lot of opinions in the room about whether we like that or whether we don't like that. And I can tell you that it really came about because some people in our city decided we need to do something to help us identify kind of who we are and what we're about as a city. And this wasn't done by city government. It was just people using their vocational skills to do that. Simon Sinek has a, one of the most popular TED Talks ever where he talks about the idea of the ultimate why. What's the real reason that we're doing the thing that we're doing? Well, I think that E is for everyone is an ultimate why for our city. It's not true. It's aspirational. It's saying, this is what we want to be. And I just have to reframe this thing for us because I think it's amazing. Because what it says is our city... Our area wants the same thing that God wants. That's unbelievable. That's an incredible thing that we have to think about. Like the people of God exiled in Babylon, like the people of God exiled in the Roman Empire that Peter's writing to, we are to live as exiles because we belong to that future city, that one that our city is longing for. That one that Jesus longed for when he looked out over Jerusalem and and wept over it. It's the city that's coming down out of heaven in Revelation 21. And you know what our job is as exiles right now while we wait on it? It's to pull it a little closer. Pull it a little bit more into reality right here in Evansville right now. And sometimes when we do that, that means we need to take a left turn. Have you ever been faced with the daunting realization that you were wrong about the world? Wrong about the way things are? Wrong about why they're that way? A few blocks from my house, I came to an intersection where I always turn right, but decided to take a left. I was surprised at how different this neighborhood looked, and it was less than a mile from my house. I noticed little details that raised questions in my mind, like, why is this man just sitting there at 7.30 in the morning drinking? Is he one of those people you hear about who'd rather live off of food stamps than work at a job? And what about these kids? Shouldn't they be getting ready for school? Don't their parents care enough to tell them not to play in the street? How do these people live like this? Where's their self-respect? And what about this kid? Where are his parents? What chance does he have growing up in a place like this? Most of the people I'd seen in this neighborhood started out just like him. And this thought began to chip away at my assumptions. Maybe I was wrong. 
Something about that experience clung to me, and I began to run through that neighborhood almost every day. I found out that the man I had seen works third shift every night, but he still can't afford to cool his old drafty house. So he sits outside on his front steps and tries to cool down with a cold beer. He hasn't seen his daughter in two weeks. She's supposed to stay with him on weekends, but she keeps canceling. And as for the kids playing in the street, their mom has to take three different buses to get to her first job. And by the time she gets home from her second job, it's already dark outside. Before I knew it, the curiosity that kept bringing me back to this neighborhood had turned to anger. I was angry at the dad who wasn't there for those kids. I was angry at the crummy little convenience store on the corner that charged twice as much for groceries as a store that I drove to. I was angry at all the systems that were supposed to help these people, but were only driving them deeper into dependence. But most of all, I was angry at myself. These were my neighbors. Stopping to talk with people, I've learned a lot. I found there were people moving into these neighborhoods to simply be good neighbors. Many are developing innovative solutions empowering people to better their own circumstances. Businesses, nonprofits, and churches are beginning to partner with neighborhoods to develop whole communities. They say isolation is what allows poverty to sustain its forceful grip in neighborhoods like this. The more I look around, the more hope I found in others trying to break through the isolation. It's not something that happens overnight, but it is happening. So church, any place we see where E isn't for everyone, where Evansville isn't yet for everyone. Not only have we been commissioned by Jesus to bring shalom, we have also been given permission by our city, not that we needed it, to pursue that shalom. What a fortunate, amazing circumstance. It's time to do this. You know, E really will be for everyone when the whole scattered church takes the whole gospel, preaching and demonstrating that kingdom to the whole person, everything about that person in every part of our whole city. That's when E will be for everyone. And that's the commission that we have and the permission we have to pursue it. Okay, so where do we get started? I'm really glad you asked because our team here has created a couple of tools that I wanna tell you about before we go. The first one, is this opportunity called local experience trips. We've had a couple already, and if you missed out, you really missed out, because these are set up to help you think about some of the biggest issues going on in our community and how we can faithfully and appropriately respond to them. The first one's gonna be coming up in September, and it's called Kid Zone. Kid Zone is a unique, transformative approach to bringing the love of Christ holistically to one kid at a time, 
So it's kid by kid, house by house, block by block, neighborhood by neighborhood until the whole city is reached. And we have the amazing privilege of hearing from Rob Carroll about that, who has been a pioneer right here across the river in Henderson, doing it for many, many years. And I encourage you to make that something you do. And the second one is the homelessness experience. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to the Evansville Rescue Mission in October, and we're gonna have the opportunity to hear from credible um, just experts in our community about what it means to experience homelessness and how we can appropriately respond to that. You'll learn about the housing crisis. And so I wanna encourage you with everything I can to make time for these because they're gonna be great tools to help you engage in this mission of bringing shalom. And the second thing is this card. If you're sitting at the end of a pew or if you can reach them, I'd love for you to grab one right now and pass the stack down to everyone else in the row. These are called the Let's Do This cards. And they're a tool to help you start thinking about what it is that you might now go do. And it's a great opportunity. So if you're in Newburgh, you can pass them down this way. West, I think they're gonna be passing them out to you directly. And if you're online, you can grab them there as well. This card lists practical ways in three different categories, neighboring, community, and generosity. And you can see some ideas there. And here's what I wanna ask you to do just this week. I want you to set aside some specific amount of time to pray about these things. And maybe you'll have new ideas. Maybe it's just two minutes, that's fine. Maybe it's 20 minutes, maybe it's two hours, whatever it needs to be. I want you to think about how you can bring shalom through neighboring, engaging in big issues in our community and through your generosity of time, talents and treasures. But one caveat, as you pray and think through these things and talk about them with your family and friends, I want you to look at this chart of your life. Work, family, neighborhood and extra. What I don't want you to do is cram this card right here in extra time. That's not what we're asking. We're asking you to think about your whole life, where you work, your family, where you live, what you do with your social life and what you do with your extra time. How can you start identifying some of these things to do in all of those places of your life? Lastly, we wanna, we wanna create a culture of story sharing around here at Crossroads. And so we would like for you to, if you help somebody experience life a little bit more the way God intended them to experience it, if you bring Shalom a little bit closer into reality, we wanna know about that. There's three ways you can share that story. You can share it on social media using the hashtag CCC, let's do this. Don't put the apostrophe in, it doesn't count. I know you social media novices need the refresher like myself. Or you can go on uh, cccgo.com slash stories and tell your story there. They'll give you instructions. Or maybe the easiest thing you could do is take this card on the back of it and write down just a few notes about what happened when you tried to help somebody experience a little bit more shalom in our city and bring that card back with you next week so we can celebrate it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to pursue your mission in this very place at this very time. God, that we would help people experience life as you intended spiritually, relationally, emotionally, socially, physically, educationally, vocationally, whatever it is, Lord, that you put in front of us, help us to look for ways and opportunities to do that because it's your commission to us and it is something our city has given us permission to do. So Father, as we leave this place even now, help us to find those realities. In your name we pray, amen.